No helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I've never said he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a <laughs> How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about the swag bag. And I high hope for the swag bag. When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. What is happening, folks? Welcome back. Beltway Golfer Podcast, episode 59. Your host, Alex Dixon here. It looks like this is going to be the only podcast for this month, September of 2022. However, this podcast is kind of like two just by the length of it. Almost two hours long with the head men's golf coach of George Mason University, Greg Pazinski, who, as I understand, his peers refer to him as Coach Pie. Uh, but he was unbelievably willing and forthcoming with tons of information and willing to answer all my questions um, about uh, his program, recruiting, college golf in general. Uh, never played college golf myself, so a lot of the stuff I just didn't know. And he gave thorough answers. I thought it was great. I thought it was super fascinating. Uh, a lot of the stuff, learned a lot about college golf. Actually just went to a tournament today as I'm recording this intro out at Avenel and watched some college. I'm, I'm taping this on, on Tuesday, September 27th. It was day two of a tournament that included... Uh, Maryland's golf team, Georgetown's golf team, GW, Howard, uh, Virginia Commonwealth, uh, a few other teams, University of San Francisco, all competing uh, over 54 holes at TPC Avenel, and like nobody's out there. You can go out and watch it for free. Awesome golf, no ropes. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna be getting into some more college golf. I'm excited, and certainly gonna be following George Mason University golf after this conversation because I thought. Um, uh, Coach Pazinski's passion about his team and college golf really came through um, and got me excited about his program. Other news, if you didn't hear, uh, I'm hosting another podcast, the National Links Trust Podcast. If you're not familiar with National Links Trust, they are the leaseholder for the three public golf courses in Washington, D.C. on National Park Service land, East Potomac Park, Langston Golf Course, and Rock Creek Park Golf Course. And they are all about promoting um, accessible and affordable municipal golf and preserving uh, accessible and affordable municipal golf, uh, especially around urban centers. And I'm excited to be leading their podcast going forward. They're kind of doing a relaunch. So it's starting with episode four. I'm your host. So go check that one out and be sure to subscribe uh, to National Links Trust Podcast. And of course, if you're listening to the Beltway Golfer Podcast the first time, subscribe here. Rate both, um, regardless of what platform you are listening to this on or watching on YouTube. Um, what else? Uh, the Bella Golfer newsletter, the fourth one's about to come out here in a couple of days. If you haven't signed up yet, um, it's a monthly newsletter once a month that includes, um, the latest news stories related to golf around, uh, the DMV, Washington, DC, Maryland, and Virginia, as well as the latest happenings and offerings from Beltway Golfer. So go to beltwaygolfer.com and click on newsletter and sign up there, put your email in and be sure to get the newsletter. Um, other news, some, some big news here locally. I think this is a really fascinating story just in, in the whole world of golf course development, preserving public golf course is the story of what's happening out at, at Rested National. So the, the Fairfax County supervisor just made an announcement uh, earlier this week that 
um, he is not going to approve rezoning for Reston National Golf Course, which is the, the same result that he announced, I think, last year for, for Hidden Creek, also in Reston, the private course just north of Reston National. And the Fairfax County Supervisor also announced that he said the community showed overwhelming support, and they, he shared a graphic that showed 98% of the com local community in Reston um, wanted to keep Reston National as a golf course. So, at least for the time being, the current owners of Reston National they were starting to publicize plans of developing the course, a good portion of it, to develop it into things that were not open space or golf course. Um, so this is good news for golf. And if you're listening to this thinking, well, you know, Reston National's not a place I play, or maybe it's not your favorite golf course in the world, irrelevant. The fact that a public golf course near Washington, D.C. is going to remain open and hopefully eliminate the opportunity that it's going to be developed is huge for golfers everywhere, especially public golfers. Tee times are hard to find. Golf courses are packed. And, you know, we can't lose another public golf course, especially one as convenient as Reston National. I mean, the location is unbelievable, and their T-sheets are packed all the time. Um, so this is huge news um, that Reston National is going to remain a golf course, knock on wood, for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'm certainly excited, and it's great news for public golf in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, speaking of which, and I must say, not relevant to my sentiment, but uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you'll know that Reston National uh, – and the, the management company that manages Reston National, Kemper Sports, is a sponsor of this podcast. Um, saying that, this podcast episode is sponsored by Golden Horseshoe, another property managed by Kemper Sports, which has 45 holes down in Colonial Williamsburg. The 18-hole championship gold course, originally de designed by Robert Trent Jones and more recently renovated by Reese Jones, one of the best courses in the state of Virginia and certainly one of the best groups of par threes you're going to see in the state, also has the 18-hole green course, which is a fantastic challenge in and of itself, uh, and the Spotswood 9, which is a fun warm-up or wind-down uh, course on the property. But Golden Horseshoe's got five different price points for, for lodging options and stay in plays. Literally walkable to a lot of the sites within Colonial Williamsburg. It's right in Colonial Williamsburg. Bush Gardens is right up the street. So it's a great place to go with a family uh, or for a buddy's trip. And we, appreci and we appreciate Golden Horseshoe and Kemper Sports for being uh, sponsors of this podcast. That is it. It's a long episode, so I will get to it. Uh, here is my conversation with Coach Greg Pazinski of the George Mason University Golf Team, episode 59 of the Beltway Golfer Podcast. Pazinski? Pazinski. Do people call you Coach Pi? Yeah, almost. It's so weird. Like, ever since I was in college, everyone just calls me Pi for short. And then wherever I go, it's just like Pi. Coach Pi, yeah. So, well, it doesn't matter. Love it. So it just, it sticks to right. the point where I've had people, friends in college didn't even know my first name. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So we're out here at uh, Laurel Hill Golf Course with the uh, head coach of George Mason Golf, 
Greg Pazinski. So this is this is one. Of, this is your main practice course, or one of your practice courses. So yeah, this is one of our home courses. Uh, we we kind of have two home courses. We're at Country Club of Fairfax Monday through Thursday, and then you know the other days we're we're here. So. So like, how, how often does that mean the teams come in to Laurel Hill, for instance, on, in a month? How, how often they fly in here? Well, in season, as you're kind of aware, we travel quite a bit. Yeah. So, you know, the amount we use any facility is not a lot, not as much as you would think because we're gone. But um, I would probably say we might play here, you know, maybe about 10 times, 12 times okay. in, in a fall. Okay. And maybe similar in the spring. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the, you know, one of the goals we have is obviously facilities. At the university, we don't have our own golf facilities, so we have, uh, you know, we have to partner and, and be good neighbors with uh, the na- neighboring clubs in Northern Virginia. And fortunately, you know, this is one of the, the selling points of our program. Northern Virginia and the DMV is one of the best golf areas in the whole country. So the fact that, you know, from our campus in Fairfax, I mean, there's over a dozen, you know, elite country clubs alone. And then you have, you know, this is one of the best public facilities in the country. And we're located in Fairfax, in Fairfax County. This is Fairfax County owned and operated. How does that, and, and folks that have listened to this before, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate, so, so many of these interviews are just, you know, me asking naive questions, and it's just, it's really about the education of me, and hopefully that can educate some people that are listening or, or, or learn something they don't know. But I never played college golf. I played high school golf. So I've, 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 I don't know a lot about the whole college process. So I've got, my questions are going to be all over the place. Yeah, no problem. But, like, so how did you, how did you even... Is that is this something that Fairfax County donates to the school? Like, how do you even get that? How do you even land Laurel Hill as a practice facility? Yeah, so great question. So, again, one of the big challenges we have is access. And, unfortunately, the fact that golf is at an all-time high actually is a detriment for us. It's a challenge for us. Because hardy at time. Yes. So access for us has become, since COVID, really challenging. So... You know, the two different models were fortunate. One is the country club is there on a different, you know, uh, financial model. Mm-hmm. They obviously have membership fees that they get paid up front. And whereas a, a, a public course is pay as you go. So, you know, Fairfax, are, it's literally right across from our campus, uh, you know, country club of Fairfax. Yep. And we've had a great relationship pretty much when the, the university started, the club started. So again, during the week, they give us access, you know, on their non-peak times, and they have some walk-up times that if our guys want to play it, and their head pro, Brendan Sage, has been awesome. They're members, they're bored. Again, we we appreciate their relationship. It's huge for our program. And, uh, you know, here, the same thing. When I, I got hired three years ago, they had a great relationship with Laurel Hill. You know, one of the things we're actually faced with is... They now, you know, they can get over $100 a round, and, you know, they, they kind of... Want your guys to pay. Yes. Right. So, you know, that's... So we're, we're trying to work a way that, you know, we add value to them mm-hmm. here. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's an evolving situation. So COVID became a very convenient an excuse for country clubs to say, hey... And I'm sure that's a challenge of programs all over the country. Yes. So, again, and that's one of the the things I've been beating the drum with, with our, our administration is, you know, we have to be 
equal partners with these places. We have to be, you know, have some kind of skin in the game and, and, and invest in them mm -hmm. so that, you know, if, if unforeseen circumstances come up. What would be an example of what could a school do to well, invest Well, one of the things well? we're actually working here with, and I have a meeting Thursday with John Iceman, is he's building a new uh, golf studio next to their existing one. And, yep. and John's been great to me and to our guys and to our program. And, you know, what he's doing in terms of, of research, he's one of the best in the country in the world. And his lead instructor, Juan Sock, is a golf, Mason golf uh, alumni. Oh, is he? So, okay. yeah. So we, we, you know, since I've come in, they, they've been great. And, you know, he, his business has been expanding. And obviously, they create value for Laurel Hill through their instructional platform. So Definitely. we're working to kind of invest in either technology or, or something with, with, to help there. And that will trickle down, helps the club, yeah. brings the club more value. And, sure. and again, it can be, we can kind of have a space to call our own mm -hmm. as well and, you know, have, have kind of a hub for our players to be at. I love it. Uh, you mentioned walk-up times like at Country Club of Fairfax. How does it work? You know, there's, it's, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but it's well publicized that the NCAA has some pretty strict rules. I know certainly in other sports of how much time you can practice, how much time, you think, yeah. all these different things. So when you're talking about walk-up times, like the kids can, can there's certain times during, during week, off-peak times, they can walk up at Country Club of Fairfax. If they're just playing on their own, that doesn't count against Correct. them. Correct, yeah. So the NCAA rule, any sport in season, you're limited to 20 hours of organized team activity. That's every sport? Every sport. Okay. So 20 hours. Out of season, and again, there's a certain day range. So for golf, it's 144 days throughout you know, the fall and the spring. Mm -hmm. So when your, your season officially starts to when it ends, um, you know, you have to monitor that. So there aren't, is that, there aren't too many sports in NCAA that's both fall and spring, right? I, I'm not aware of any that have two equal seasons. So some and winter and winter is basically off. Like you like basically. No, it's just whenever you designate it. So some some tournaments start at the end of January. So if okay. you want to consider that winter or spring, whatever. So obviously, you know, a lot of the Southern and Florida teams start at the end of January. So so again, it's whenever you designate that window to be. Uh, so you have the season total days. Mm -hmm. And so again, our fall and spring is equal. So when we play Labor Day counts the same as when we play in April. So I don't know of any other sports that's like that. We can choose to divide up the, the, the fall and the spring season how we choose. Again, mm -hmm. a lot of the, the, the nor more northern teams will do a little more equal split between the fall and spring. A lot of the, the more southern teams will 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 weigh theirs more heavily in the spring because it's to their advantage. Because if you play some good northern but schools... The advantage and, being that, that you're, you don't have these huge gaps in between tournaments? No, the advantage is if I'm a Florida school and I could play a colder weather climate school not at the end of January or February... They haven't been practicing. Right. Yeah. But their rank, ranking's still high from the fall. I see. So you can bring them, and you're on your, your turf. You're on your grass, your weather, your type of golf courses. So it's definitely a strategy when you get into trying to get an at-large NCA bid. Hey, I want to I play those guys down here early in the season, early in the spring season, and we could beat them. That's interesting. I never considered that whatsoever. Yeah, so... 
Um, so yeah, you have your, your, your season, how many total days you can, you can play and practice in mm -hmm. season. And then you have your per week, 20 hour window, and then the eight hour window off season. Obviously, you know, golf is such a unique sport and animal with time. The NCA really doesn't know how to legislate us relative to the other ones. For instance, for the 20 hour week, a competition day in any sport, the max time you can have is three hours. So most of our first day, day of competition are 36 holes. We might be out there 12 hours, yes, but that only that counts work? for three okay. relative to the 20 hour rule. Interesting. And you were also just talking before we started recording, they have a, a number of uh, event days. Yeah. So for tournaments, you're allowed 24 competition days. Okay. So how you, again, a lot of the bigger schools with the invitationals, you know, they might play 10, and that's only regular season. So once you're postseason, your conference championship in NCAs, that doesn't count against that. And this is all very complicated. So when you're talking about fall and spring and just putting together your schedule, I mean, talk about what, again, we, we, right before we start recording, you get invited to a tournament yeah, once your schedule is already started and it complicates things. Yeah, so creating a schedule is one of the most important, vital, uh, you know, things you can do for your program because that, you know, the strength of your schedule, you see it again in, in football, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's so, so important. The, 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 the stronger your schedule, the more good teams you'll play, the more opportunities you have to beat good teams. And again, just like in football, it's... And putting together the schedule is, as the head coach, yes. this is your responsibility. Yes, so um, it's so important because you get more value for quality victories than you do you know, losing. So again, how golf works in the rankings, if you, you know, if there's 12 teams in a tournament and, you know, you finish ninth um, and all the teams, the eight teams ahead of you are all ranked ahead of you, that those don't hurt you mm -hmm. because they're supposed to beat you. They're ranked ahead. Right. Now, if you beat the uh, three teams below you and you're they're higher ranked than you, you'll get three quality wins. So you're, as opposed to if I go to a tournament and I finish second out of 12th mm -hmm. and I'm ranked ahead of the other 11 or 10 teams and the one team that beat, wins the tournament beats us, is ranked below us, our ranking will, 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 will fall. Got it. Because the one, so and so that's where, you know, getting into tournaments, again, like football, you know, you see App State. Well, why would Texas A&M schedule App State anymore? What's in it for them? They're supposed to win. Yeah. And if they beat them, they don't get anything. And they're cutting them a big check. Right. I mean, that's the <laughs> other side. So, you know, so again. Does any of that happen in golf? Uh, no, but the better the tournaments, they're, they have sponsors. So as a budget-wise, and that's another major factor in scheduling, is the tournaments are cheaper. So the richer programs actually oftentimes don't pay an entry fee or a minimal entry fee okay. because people, other people are paying for it. So, so yeah, scheduling is so important. And one of the things you're trying to build, obviously scheduling directly affects your ranking. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps recruiting. When do you typically have the schedule in place? So generally at least a year in advance. So that's one of the other goals we have is trying to bring back a, a, a quote home tournament because college golf, you don't play any home tournaments. You know, some schools that usually own their golf course, you know, a university course will host events. Mm -hmm. And again, 
And golf, as you know, if you know the golf course, that is a huge advantage. Right, right. And so it's really hard to beat a team. So like in this area, University of Maryland, for instance, has their own course. They, right. they, they, host... they don't have a tournament, oh, but okay. UVA does. Okay, sure. so, so, yeah, to try and beat a team, and that's a huge opportunity, right? So mm -hmm. if we can get high-ranked teams on your home golf course that you know like the back of your hand, and the home team sets up the golf course, so you can beat a lot of better teams on your home golf course. Golf Week just came out with their top 50, I think, college campus courses. Yeah. Do you know what the number of, you know, Division One school, how many Division One golf programs are? So there's 300. 300. So that's the second or third most in NCAA men's sports. Interesting. So golf is a hugely, you know, popular sport, mm -hmm. and so many teams have it. And again, that's one of the things I've tried to tell, you know, George Mason is you have a tremendous opportunity to win in a sport that, as far as I know, we have the smallest roster size of any sport. So we have weather where our guys can play 11 or 12 months. We're in a great metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are working here, moving here. And again, Virginia is the sixth best state in the country right now, according to Junior Golf Scoreboard in Junior Golf rankings. Okay. So, I mean, there's a a ton of opportunity and you know relative to other sports where you might have 30 40 50 60 or more athletes the amount of investment that moves the needle in golf is so much smaller than every other sport and obviously as you know golf has so many other benefits to it. it's a lifetime sport mm -hmm. you know you can play with your boosters it's the only sport where people can play on the same you know right. playing field uh, we travel to places. So the Alabama boosters aren't lining up on, on the defensive line against the Alabama. Exactly. It'd be a little weird to have a track meet or a wrestling match, you know, as a fundraiser, right? Sure. Everybody uses golf as fundraising. Right. So, you know, again, scheduling, too. Again, other than our conference championship, we're in golf, you're not beholden to a conference schedule. So for us, we're going to South Florida. We're going to Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to Seattle, Washington in the spring. And we, we were just in New York twice, so we're covering the whole... Is there, is there any requirement? Like, so you're in the Atlantic 10. Right. Is there any requirement? No. I mean, is there an Atlantic you, 10 championship in golf? Yes. There so is. other than your conference championship, you don't have to play in any conference. There's no... Got it. You okay. know, we played at Davidson's tournament, but they're free to invite whoever they want. So, so, yeah, there's a lot of freedom when it comes to scheduling. So for us, if you're a George Mason grad, which George Mason's the largest school in Virginia. People mm -hmm. don't know that. So, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. And our, we're the most diverse school, we're the most innovative school, and our graduates have the highest starting salary of any school in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So, and 80% of our graduates stay in, and live and work in the state of Virginia, 90% in the DMV. Hmm. So, again, the area that we're in is, is, it speaks for itself, it sells itself. So. Uh, and again, our school's just celebrated its 50-year anniversary. Um, so yeah, so it, like I said, it's it's, I, it's it's growing. I saw on your schedule, uh, I, maybe I'm going to wrong, October, November, but you are, quote-unquote, the host of a tournament coming up this fall, but down in the Pinehurst area, mid-Pines and Southern Pines? Right. So, so how, does that, how do you become the host of that? So good question. So yeah, the, um, again, we'd love to host a tournament back here. However, 
Um, Does every school pretty much host a tournament no, every year? No, that's up to you. Okay. So again, with the scheduling, you know, obviously I talked about the benefits of it with, with your, your national ranking. The other benefits are um, recruiting. Mm-hmm. The other benefits are networking within getting other invites. So how you get invited is a lot to do with the coach and your relationships with other coaches. So again, if we host an event and we invite other schools to our event, they are more inclined to invite sure. us. Or it's, and you have a relationship with that coach now going yeah, forward. Yeah, and the other benefits, obviously, if you host, it, you generally, you know, one of the things for doing all the work and organizing it is you, your team generally doesn't pay to play in that tournament. So, like, for that tournament, for example, like, how many teams are in that tournament? So, last year we had 17, which is a big field. Generally, most tournaments are 12 to 15. Again, the bigger events in the spring are, like, destination places, so to speak, which Mm -hmm. I think Pinehurst is. Sure. But, again, when we go and play in South Florida and Arizona, they'll have maybe 20 teams. And a lot of those then become three-day events where you, you can't play 36 in a day because the field's too big. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the teams that time of year want to get out of the cold. Yeah. So there's, there's a greater demand, so they'll take on more. So how, that, For that tournament where you have, you have 17 teams, how many teams did you invite? All of them. So they all said yes. Well, oh, so yeah, basically, you know, reached out and we filled the field um, the how, first do you, year. how do you select the team? Like, how did you come about those 17 schools? So, yeah. So, again, a lot of your own relationships. Uh, some of the schools had played in the previous tournament in Florida. Is your goal to kind of mix it up with, like, half those teams are ranked higher? And yeah, half so are exactly. You want to try, and again, most college events do have kind of three levels of teams. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, a lot of, and again, some of the, the ultra-exclusive events, they want all good teams because, again, they don't want to lose to anybody that, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, again, and that's part of the, the ongoing debate with the college coaches in the NCA system is, and they put in, when they redid it to make it, it's basically like the basketball system, so all the conference champions get an automatic bid, and then mm-hmm. the a committee selects the rest at large. Well, How many they, schools get into the end-of-the-year tournament? Um, there's 60, so 60 there's, um, well... Actually, I shouldn't say that. I guess there's there's ninety because um, there's now six there's six regionals and fifteen teams each, and five make it from each. So thirty make the NCAA finals. Are the ninety at, make the regionals? Are the at-large bids solely based on ranking? Most of it, yeah. So this okay. committee uh, again. So you generally like have, everybody knows the like the basketball March Madness is so popular. Yeah. So you so there's, there's like a committee teams, sitting in a room, right? right. So is it similar to that or yes, okay. very similar. So obviously most of the at-large bids go to the higher ranked teams or the, or the, or the bigger conference teams. So you generally want to be inside the top 75 okay. is a good place to be, to be in contention for the at-large. So obviously schedule's huge. Mm-hmm. So if I play, so one of the checks and balances for the, the smaller schools, you know, is you got to be 500 and the 500 rule. So Alabama didn't make it this past year because they were below 500, even, and they'd finished last in the SEC championship. Okay. So you can argue, well, hey, they were ranked 58th, but, well, one, if you finish last in your conference, regardless, SEC is the top-ranked conference. It's usually, yeah, it's okay. one of them. Yeah. And so 
hey, maybe you don't deserve to be in the postseason. Sure. And then the other argument would be, well, hey, if you didn't beat half the teams you played against, maybe you shouldn't be in either. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see how you could argue with that. Yeah, so that's where they've, they've, they've kind of been on. And like I said, there's, there's that, that, you know, people above me, you know, whatever. That's just mm-hmm. the system we have in place. So, you know, knowing that that's the strategy you try and implement. And the better you get, obviously, you get more access and you become more attractive for the better tournaments to get you in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so tournament scheduling is huge. You have budget. You have the NCAA 24 competition day rule you have mm-hmm. to balance. What about finding uh, the, the, the court? Like golf's unusual, I would imagine, because the courses you play can be can attract schools to your tournament. It'd probably be a recruiting tool, right? We're playing these courses this year. Like, Absolutely. So, and so and southern, about, southern Pines and Mid Pines are fantastic. Exactly. Golfers. So you're talking about when you host? Yeah. yeah. If you host, the number one reason for teams to come to your event is the quality of the venue. Right. So there's the quality of the venue, there's the date you pick, hey, maybe there's three or four other top tournaments that same time that, that, that overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you don't have a choice. Again, oh, is it fall or is it spring? How late? Depending on where you're located. Um, so. So yeah, and then is it hard to get like what's in it for the course? Like, well, the other the other part is um, creating the experience, right? So, so if your tournament, you can create an experience outside, just, outside of the actual playing of the course. Yeah. So again, if you're a top school, you're getting invited to any tournament you basically want because everybody wants to have you in their field. Sure. But what do you mean by experience? Well, so for instance, a lot of them now uh, there's some tournaments in Arkansas that were hosted on the Golf Channel. Well, hey, we want our guys to be on the golf channel. Um, For instance, one of the things I want to do here, I just talked to the Navy coach yesterday. He he want they were trying to get in our our Pinehurst event. Okay. And um, you know, again, I I I sent invites out right after last year's event concluded, and again, fifteen of our seventeen schools or fourteen immediately responded they wanted to come back. So, so is it full right now? Yes, and we have many. Could teams. you it, like? And we have many teams on the waiting list. So, okay. for instance, is it up to like if you want if you wanted to? Up could to you could you turn it into eighteen? Maybe it because some of it because that's too complicated. No, because we're we're remote hosting. It's not up to me necessarily. Mm-hmm. So one is the logistics side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, if you're playing thirty six holes, there's only so much sunlight right. to get in thirty six holes. So the number of players, a golf course can only handle so many players at once for pace of play. Um, the other thing is, again, would be lodging if we're, we're providing the lodging. So there's a lot of different factors that go into that. Um, you know, also it's the quality of the experience for the other teams. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, if we can't get in 36 holes, we got to come back. You know, hey, it's not what I signed. You know, one of the advantages of our tournament, because it's in March and spring break on a great place, we offered... A, a sixth player, an individual to play on his own. So now you can bring six players instead of just five. So you get an extra guy to have tournament experience, even though he's not competing for the team. As the host and remote host for like that tournament, is part of you know the experience. Is there anything outside of from the time they tee it up to the end of the tournament that you're also responsible for, like yes. lodging or like a, a post? yeah? So that's up to you. So again, some of the and this affects the cost. So some a lot of the you know we play at Penn State. Mm-hmm. I played there, so it's a great it's your alma mater, right? Yeah, so it's a great tournament. We're going to Ohio State, 
And, you know, generally those don't include lodging because they, they own the, the golf course. Also, that affects the cost. So for them, they're getting almost a very minimal rate for the course or no rate, depending on it. So that cost gets passed off to us. So if you play at a country club, what you were saying, what's in it mm -hmm. for the course, you get guaranteed revenue from X number of players times the rate you're giving. Right. So and generally when we so when we play at country clubs, it's generally a Sunday afternoon practice round, Monday, Tuesday. Because they're either closed or they have very they're very slow on Monday or Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. So now you could bring in revenue and that's also good for the golf course. The members like it, the people there. Sure. You know, maybe our alums or whatever. So there's a lot of you know, again, your future members, if you have junior members, they could come out and watch. Mm -hmm. So it's a platform for, for your club. And so, you know, the, if you host at your own golf course, you generally play Friday afternoon practice round, Saturday, Sunday, because you Does can Penn get, State have their own course? Yeah, they, they have two courses there. They do. Yeah, same thing with Ohio State. So, you know, both of those are weekend tournaments. So that's just how it kind of affects everything. So, um, so yeah. We're talking about Penn State. Why don't we dive into your background a little bit? So, where are you originally from? Uh, near the Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. How far is that from uh, Penn State? Uh, about two hours. About two hours. Yeah. So you, um, so you played at Penn State. Mm -hmm. You were you were a stud youth golfer. I did some googling. <laughs> um, I guess. How, tell, how how did you choose Penn State? Tell us a little bit about your your career at Penn State. Yeah. So I played at Penn State. I enrolled in 2001 and then graduated in 2006. And uh, I had an awesome experience. I'm actually heading there next weekend for the 100 year anniversary of their golf program. Oh wow. So uh, I'm excited. A lot of my old teammates and friends and everybody were coming. We're, we're, we're going back there for, you know, they're having a, a lunch and then golf and then a dinner to celebrate. And then the next day is the Northwestern game. So, yeah, I mean, is, is their program typically top, you know, top 20, 30 program in, in golf? They're usually top, you know, 75, top 50. Okay. Yeah, they're in they're, They usually make NCAs. Uh, and so, so yeah, they have a very good program and, um, you know, my, ex my great experience there was the reason why I'm here. And, you know, yeah, I, I, like I said, there were, you know, the, the guys, I, I played basketball um, throughout high school and before and AAU and my sisters both played college basketball. So for me, college golf was the first time you get to be in a team atmosphere for golf. Mm -hmm. You know, before it was like my dad and I just played. None of my friends played golf at the time. And we weren't from a, a huge golf hub area. So you didn't have a high school team? We did, but we played nine holes and Oof. matches. And there was no team high school championship at the time. It was an individual thing. So okay. yeah. So again, everything yeah. was individual based. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I always loved loved golf and was was good at it growing up and played very naturally and I had kind of a homemade swing and so when I got to Penn State, how did you get recruited at Penn State? If you, I mean, well, it's like anything. I mean, where you must have been winning some some tournaments. Yeah, so you know, even when I recruit, I tell people, you know, is it great to play in the biggest you know national events? Yes, because there's eyeballs on it and um 
But even if you don't, if you can't get into them or you don't have access, you know, you could play in your state and regional stuff. Mm -hmm. um, your state golf association, you know, around here we have the MAPGA has some great junior events, the sure. Denny McCarthy, the Billy Hurley, yeah. you know, the Bobby Bowers. But if you shoot good numbers and you win those, that matters. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then you, you work your way up. So, you know, part of it is you have to be, you have to dominate in your local area. You, then you have to be your best in your state or in your region. You have to be, you know, so again, people, if you can't, and then when you get to college, hey, you become a great college player. You work your, now obviously the talent is even better and there's more of it. So, you know, and then if you're a great college player, well, hey, am I good enough to turn pro? So that's the natural progression. And a lot of people I think are a little oblivious to that or naive to that. So if you can't, you know, if you can't keep being the best at each level, mm -hmm. You know, it's just not going to happen. So for me, well, yeah. like, tell, tell us a little bit about yeah, like you now you recruiting now at George Mason, like your recruiting process, what you, what you do to recruit. I mean, are you going yeah. out? Are you going out to these tournaments in person? Yeah, to so, see see their swing, like. So yeah, so just you know, like my personal experience again. You know, the AJGA was a really big thing, and they didn't have a lot of events. Now that's the the big major national junior tour. Mm -hmm. um, so. I had to drive the closest one, you know, they only had a couple every month and every top player played in it. Yeah. And when I was 15 or so, um, the closest one for us, we drove like six hours to Firestone over okay. Memorial Day. I played mm -hmm. in an 18 hole qualifier okay. and I shot even par and I tied for low. And I still have the Ashworth Freddie Couples sign thing uh, in my office. At a tournament like that, is it just crawling with college coaches? Yes, at the, especially at that time because, again, you know, there were only a couple every month, so they were marquee events. Now, I mean, the AJGA has become so big, there's five, or five a week sometimes in mm -hmm. the summer. So, but at that time, that was the holy grail, right? Yeah. So if you played in those, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I got paired, practiced around two kids from South Africa. One kid was the number one kid in the junior in the country. He was my age, or became the number one recruit, went to Georgia. And so that, you know, obviously I went and I, I was nervous and I played terrible. I got poison ivy and it was, it was awesome, right? So, um, but I learned from that. And then, you know, the next, next year I got into the event, I finished top five. And so then I became exempt for the rest of the, the year. And then I played well in another tournament. And then from there on, you know, I, I you're allowed to play in up to five events mm -hmm. and, I was exempt and, and played well and had good results. And, you know, enough, I, I, I was always, you know, did well in the, in the Pennsylvania high school thing and the state things. And, yeah, so that's how, um, again, Penn, Penn State noticed me. And um, I, I got a scholarship there. Obviously, I was in state. Yeah. So. Um, in 2001, social media didn't exist. No, so. <laughs> So even for, and that's for, had to change quite oh, a bit. Oh, for sure. Facebook came out my junior year of college, college, high school. college. college. Yeah. So I, I had a roommate from Southern California, and he came back from Christmas. He was like, "Hey, there's this new thing." Mm -hmm. My buddy at Stanford. So it went, you know, Ivy League first, and then I think Stanford. But the big thing in, in recruiting, and I, I don't know if this affects with golf, but it was after Facebook and all that stuff with the huddle. 
Is that a thing in golf? The H U D L, you know that that app where people are making making. I maybe it's, I know it's big in football and basketball. Yeah. You're basically, you're making mixtapes yourself and sending them no, to college so coaches. No, so it's funny because I had a Swedish teammate and they made it, and it was funny because we still joke to this day, and a lot of the internationals put those together for their their players and their recruiting services. Right, and you know. The kid, every putt goes in, every shot is like within two feet. I mean, the, the production value is kind of laughable. But, but yeah, no, the biggest thing is, again, now with the recruiting is, again, we have databases that are, are specialized in that. So like Junior Golf Scoreboard is kind of the most common one. So, again, I could pull up a kid, someone, you know, reaches out to me like, like we, hey, can you, you know, whatever. I, I, on my phone, I could find out you know, pretty much yeah. every tournament he's played in, what his scores were, what field, where, whatever. And golf's, golf's different. Golf's more like swimming or track and field or something where you can look up, like, you're as good as your number. Exactly. How, how did you shoot? There's what is a, your average? Right. It's not like football or basketball yeah, where, where it's like oh, you're he's a good team player. Or he has competition. Well. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, he gets after loose balls. <laughs> right. So, yeah, golf is much more objective, which, again, gets to my point. It's, it's amazing still people kind of have this, you know, they're not self-aware with where they stand relative to things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you, you, what you shoot is what you shoot. And now there are some gray areas to that you know one of the quality things, of tournament course exactly how hard is the golf course you know what was the weather right. um you know how was it set up mm -hmm. and the field and so a lot of these things that's up to me now i've got to dig through the layers to find out hey you know maybe this kid's ranked higher than he should be or may maybe this kid's a diamond in the rough mm -hmm. and you know, so, so yeah, so that's the art of it. I know a lot of college coaches just go by the metrics and the rankings. And to me, you know, when I recruit, I have to see you in person. If I'm going to commit tens of thousands of dollars to you for, and have you for four years, which we can get into that evolution of recruiting in all the sure. sports, a scholarship's only a one-year deal. So, but anyway, I commit to four years and is that always the case? Because you think every of, sport, you think about it as a four-year deal, right? Which that's one that's, of the fallacies. That's not the case. No, it's a, you sign a one-year. I don't know because I was never offered one. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, it started in SEC football several years ago. I remember with Les Miles. So scholarships are really one-year renewable contracts. Yeah, and people don't like to say you got cut, yeah. but you just didn't get renewed. Sure. So. You know, now, and that's become, again, I remember first that I heard of it was about seven, eight years ago, with, 10 years ago with Les Miles and LSU. He'd bring in, it's like the airlines. Mm -hmm. They sell more tickets than seats they have. Right. And so, you know, you come in and again, especially at the bigger programs, they have the leverage of their reputation and their stature. Mm -hmm. Kids <clears throat> want to, you know, die to play there. So they come in taking that chance, and they don't necessarily maybe communicate that to them, but this is one of the things we tell our guys, and this is what you need to be aware of. And so in golf, the average roster size is 10. Okay. On the small end, you generally have eight. Do you have 10 scholarships? No. In golf, you're only allowed, the NCAA limits four and a half. Oh, really? So yeah, that's another fallacy. So. Football and basketball are the only two sports for the NCAA where you, you have, if you give any scholarship, it has to be 
So every other sport has a proportional, and their limit is less than the number of players. So if on your, like on, in your program, if you only have four and a half scholarships and you have a roster of 10, let's say I'm the... Yeah, you have let's to say, do let's some say, math. Let, let, but let's say I'm number... Or do you split that four and a half over the 10? Well, or? you have to. How could you do it any other way? The math so. doesn't work, right? You're not giving four full scholarships to your four best players. You could. Right. I mean, you could do it however you want. So, yeah, a lot of it, you're kind of like a GM with the salary cap, with, with your scholarship money. That's, and does it change? I mean, do you... Now you're that, that is complicated. Yes. I said, does it change every year? Like, let's say I came, I came in kind of as your, on paper, maybe your eighth best player, and I, I come out like gangbusters, and all of a sudden, coming into my sophomore year, I'm, the, I'm your number one guy. Then or may, it could go the other way. Maybe, or, or it could go, exactly. The number one, maybe I flip-flop with the number one guy. Does, does then that money, the, how much money you're getting part of your scholarship may change the following year? Yeah, and this is the nuance that you need to know what you're getting into. Wow. So, um, first of all, that's the NCA limits, four and a half. That doesn't mean what the school's going to give each program is four and a half. Mm-hmm. So that's just, again, just like in football, you're allowed 85. Well, that was so back in the 80s and 90s. So Penn State, uh, Nebraska, and you know Ohio State, couldn't. they were given 110 scholarships. Mm-hmm. And then Boston College maybe had 40. So they put in these limits to keep the playing field as level as possible from the big boys. However, each school doesn't necessarily have the four and a half to give. So for us, we don't have four and a half. So we're we're that is a disadvantage for us going up even into our top schools in our conference. So even within the conference, not everything's level, you know, and, and it's. You know, so that's, you have to use your, you know, whatever advantages you have to offset the disadvantages mm-hmm. you have. So the, the NCAA limit is four and a half scholarships, and you, and you get all four, you get that four and a half from George Mason? Yeah, so there's two things. Every program's goal in any sport is to be endowed. So private individuals can can make up that difference if, if the school only wants to give you two. Right. Example. So if the school comes, if COVID or some unforeseen mm-hmm. financial thing, if there's enough money privately fundraised, you know, it's like any investment. You put a principal in and then the interest produces the money every year. Sure. So that's, that's your great. Other than that, yeah, it's up to the school to give you that money, which is why not everybody gets four and a half because they yeah. might say, hey, we can only give you two or two or yeah. whatever it is. So, so yeah, that fundraising is huge for other sports. So when you, when you asked about is golf a revenue producer, for some, yeah, I guess because you're on TV now, the mm-hmm. Golf Channel televises it. And, however, golf is definitely a revenue producer indirectly. The, what we said, fundraising, no sport can fundraise like golf. Right. So when you see all, a lot of these schools flying private jets, you know, well, their golf boosters are donating their private checks. They're, you know, they're building multi-million dollar golf facilities. Mm-hmm. You know, again, the ticket. Through golf events. Well, and just a yeah. lot of successful, yeah. financially <laughs> rich people play golf. So, hey, again, I could play with the team. Sure. I could host them at my course. I, you know, they're, they're going to these exotic places. Maybe I have a, a second or third home there. 
Mm-hmm. So that connection with golf is so, so unique, and you can tap into that. And that's, you know, one of the number one things that, you know, I, I'm trying to, you know, communicate that to George Mason is the area we're in is such, there's so many successful people with great businesses and great jobs. And again, we have access to capital if there's a passion and a plan. Right. And, 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 not, and that's unique. Not a lot of places, you know, most. But we also talked about this a little bit earlier. I think one of the challenges there is there's this dic- disconnect between the golf community and college golf. Like, yeah, so- I'm, I'm, I'm a crazy, I'm crazy passionate about golf. I host this freaking podcast. All, all stuff, but I, like I'm like I don't. As you can tell by this interview, I don't know anything about college golf. Yeah, it's not. It's not like it's not necessarily one of. The, it's not like basketball, or football, where like you're just going to games all the time. It's not. It's not that kind of thing. Right. So like, how do you bridge that gap and, and, and get the local golf community, especially the ones with some deep pockets, more involved with the team or more aware of what's going on with the team? Well, again, and that's another responsibility of the coach, right? That's what the a lot of the job in college golf is: fundraising, is networking, is you know, again, whether, you know, your personal connections, as we discussed, helps with scheduling. Your personal connections helps with recruiting. Your personal connections helps with access to golf courses. You know, me being, you know, a, a PGA of America member and having been part of the Mid-Atlantic PGA section for, you know, four or five years before I got this job has opened so many doors for my program. Would you ever consider, and maybe you do, I didn't, I didn't study the schedule that hard, do you have any events in this area? No, we don't, and that's one of the things we're actively working on right yeah. now. Do you think I, that would help? Yes. I mean, you know, one of the things we would love to, you know, bring it back maybe here. You know, I know they were interested in it, and, you know, again, one of the things. Have you done that in the past? They used to host one here, yeah, okay. before, before my time uh, and before covid they, they had an event here. And this golf course is a phenomenal, you know, it's a championship venue. Yeah. The one thing that obviously here is the conditioning of it. It gets a lot of play. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on a different model. The more volume they get, the more sure. revenue they produce. And they don't necessarily have the same resources to maintain that level of play and the heat in July and yeah. in August here. Um, so you did play, um, they have a lot deeper, uh, more resources, but you just played a municipal tournament up in New York a couple weeks ago, Bethpage. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the condition, we, we had to play lift, clean, and place in the fairways. Okay. And You played the red course, right? We played the red course, yeah. We didn't play the black. Yeah. So, uh, and again, it's great. The field, though, wouldn't be the type of, you know, it wasn't the caliber of field because of that. Okay. You know, it was, it was mo- mostly the the, te- the regional teams. So, um, so yeah, if I I want to bring a, an event here to showcase the event, I want to bring in, you know, big-name teams. Mm-hmm. But, again, you know, if they're playing a course that, you know, is in very poor condition, the bunkers, the fairways have, you know, brown spots and the greens aren't great, um, you know, they don't want to come here for that. Right. Now, like I said, if they get to play an unbelievable golf course, you know, one that's maybe hosted, you know, high caliber, you know, tour events or whatever, that's a reason for them to come. And are there are there 
maybe ones that you're, that George Mason doesn't participate in. Are there uh, big college terms in this area that I don't know about? No, or well, I should know about. Well, um, Howard hosted one last year at Woodmont. Again, they didn't get, they didn't fill the field. Okay. And again, it's hard to create a tournament from nowhere. So uh, Sam, you know, we just played with them the last two days. You know, he told me that uh, he changed the model. And I saw one of his players, Greg Odom, was the medalist down there. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he partnered with University of San Francisco. And said, hey, why don't we co-host an event? We'll rotate it every other year. He oh, got, that's how they're going out to Pebble Beach? No. He got TPC Potomac. How is that related to the University of San Francisco? Because they're co-hosting. So they're hosting this year here. Okay. Then the following year, they'll go out west. Oh, interesting. And so, again, it's a bi-coastal thing. Got it. Okay. You know, one of the things I, I talked to Sam at Howard and I talked to Pat at Navy was kind of getting... Getting a couple of the local teams, you know, one involved, so there's local support and again access to, to Navy host. They host a tournament, at Naval Academy course. Yeah, right? they do. But again, I want to have one at one of the premier venues in sure. this area that yeah. hosts major championships. I mean, that would be such an event, especially if you get a lot of the, the schools from from this area. Well, you, I, don't know, I, I don't know how I, important that is. I want a couple <laughs> because you. I sure. want to. I want to get the best schools from all over the country. Sure. And you only but have to a lot of like spots. when you go when you're like at your tournament down in, in, in Mid Pines or when you went to Bethpage, is there is it attended by people that beyond the the players' girlfriends and their parents? Yeah, I mean, especially if you if you're at a, a it depends where you're at. Yeah, obviously the the home team has their a bunch of people. Yeah. You have a lot of the parents travel sure. with the team with with their I would just think players. that's a challenge if you're not playing like if you've got 12 teams in a tournament and only one's from the area or two from the area, you know, attracting people and getting revenue from actual like fans and attendants to, to show up the tournament, you know. Yeah, but you don't charge. There's no You're ticket admission anyway. I mean, got it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. you ever go to yeah. any game, go to a volleyball game, go yeah. to a track and field match, go to a soccer match. I mean, yeah. How many people go to those? Do you think they're making money there? Right. I mean, they have to hire people to take the tickets, too. So, yeah, I mean, the atten- even if you look at professional sports, look at COVID. Yeah. They don't need attendance. The, the gate doesn't that's matter. Not, that's not even, that's P- not even part of the equation. Go to the PGA Tour event. They don't care if anybody shows up in terms of the gate revenue. That's irrelevant. You know, so... Um, so, yeah. Really? So, I mean, that's, that, that's a line item. I mean, it's, I mean that's not nothing. They hosted tournaments for a year with nobody showing up. Didn't affect anything. A lot of times you'll get people that'll sponsor that. So, yeah, I mean, when you talk about pro sports, it's all TV sure. revenue. So, yeah, I mean, so no, that, that doesn't matter. Now, indirectly, now those parents, they need to eat somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. they need to stay somewhere. Yeah. They, so, yeah, the, they, if the court, course has carts, mm-hmm. they're going to pay you 30 bucks a day for a cart. Yeah. So you're not. So yeah, there's ways that they're going to spend money. I mean, if they're traveling to these different locations, you know, they're they're going to they're going to spend money. But no, I mean, the whole thing is, uh, you know, I want to do something. What what do we have in D.C. that nowhere else has? So you know, I, I think if we can do something where we give them maybe an awesome dinner, you know, in D.C. Mm-hmm. And my idea was maybe to every team from whatever state they're from, 
maybe get a congressman from their state to have a dinner or a college jam with them. Sure. So now that's something unique, you know, whether it be maybe a tour of the White House, the Capitol, you know, the monuments, and then, you know, you have a dinner downtown. That's, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. It sounds, you know, like, it sounds like a no-brainer. If you're, if you're, you know, in California or Arizona or Washington or Texas or, you know, Florida, that's... that's and this all comes back to creating that experience to make it attractive for them to come. Yeah. So something like that paired with a world-class course. Yes. And then, like I said, the other thing is, you know, maybe a little bit of the date and stuff like that. There's some other... How long does that typically take to put together? Like, how long did it take to put together the, the tournament mid-binds? Um, like, when did you start? Yeah, so it? like I said, it, the, the, you, not that, well, you have to coordinate. It's a year in advance because, one, most of the golf courses, uh, their special events, they have to, if it's a country club, they have to take it to a committee. If it's, you know, a mm -hmm. public course, maybe they have to take it to the county or whatever, whoever's yeah. making that decision. Generally, they'll schedule most of the stuff by January for the year. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously on our end, you have to plan for your, your tournament scheduled days and budgets and in advance. So again, you don't go over those 24 right, right. Four days. So you generally want to, it's going to be at least a year, a year and a half in advance. Has switching topics a little bit. Has uh, has name, image, and likeness. Has that has that reached your doorstep? No, I mean the only, you know, the only people that has really affected right now is some of the top top level basketball and football players. So you know, again, if you take even with football and basketball, even the top golfers in the country, they, they're not. They must be doing some. Right? Yeah, the challenge with golf specifically with name, image, and likeness. I mean, I've seen brands on Instagram that talking about their, yeah. you know, like No Laying Up, for instance. Like, I think they they must sponsor a couple. Yeah, couple so people. again, anything significant, a lot of them will do, like, and again, every setup's different, like a percentage of sales. Like, if you promote us on your Instagram and you sell, you know, $1,000 and we'll give you 10% of that or something, right, right. or merchandise or yeah. whatever. That's what a lot of it is at that level. If you're tying serious stuff, like big, big money. I mean, one, most people, if you're an international player, so if you're a great international golfer at Arizona State or a school like that, you are not eligible for name, image, and likeness because you're on a student visa and that falls into a work. Okay, sure. So that would void your visa. So that's one strike against golf with a lot of good international players. Two, most of the prime marketing areas for a golfer is unavailable for a college golfer. So you're talking Maybe about what? the front of the hat, Okay. you're talking about here, and you're talking about on your golf bag. So, you know, from what I've read from, you know, most of the- What is available, towels and- Well, again, you could put, try and put it on areas, but I guess if somebody really just wanted to give you the money- If one of your, well, let me ask you this, let me ask you a different way, it sounds like it's not really happening, but if one of your players came to you and said, Hey, this company, I just made a deal with this company doing uh, name image likeness, and they want me to put a badge on my sleeve. Would you allow that? That's a good question. Probably, uh, it depend on the, the details, but obviously you wouldn't want one guy having a different uniform than that's the other. That's what I mean, yeah. So, but is that what's happening at the, at the higher levels? No, that's no. why you're not seeing it, yeah. right? And well, so, not putting on their uniform, but they're, they're doing it in other ways. Right, yeah. yeah. So, like, maybe you do a commercial or something. Right, right, or, right. So, yeah, but in terms of, like, well, what do most people want if there's, again, if you're playing in an elite college tournament, it's on the Golf Channel, mm -hmm. 
you know, you're not going to see your logo somewhere. Right. You know, which again, I, from what I've, that's the most valuable reason to do it is be to get eyeballs on that. Now, like I but said, that's also the same case with the basketball and football players. So it's, isn't it, isn't a lot of it really about social media? Yeah, a lot of it, right. You're, yeah. And so if you're that big of a name, yeah, and you have yeah. a social media following, you know, and that's where, again, half of it or more than half of the NIL deals are female student athletes, not mm -hmm. males. And that yeah. includes, if you take basketball and football out of it, it's over three quarters. Interesting. Because of the social media following yeah. and, and their presence there. So, no, we haven't had to really deal with that. And like you said, probably, you know, the way they would go with golfers would be more of what you're saying. It's not necessarily on the, it'd be more through those platforms yeah, and whatever. Sure. Um, so this is, so what, what year do you, the last thing about the yeah. license is that once you turn <coughs> professional, once you're out of school, that deal's done, deal's done. So again, it was a new thing and I think, but you'll see it again, unless you just want an excuse to give away money, which most of the super successful business people I know don't, yeah. um, to invest in someone before they're who they are and you get no guarantees after that, you're generally probably going to wait till they're a professional to do it. Right, right. Um, this is your first uh, head coach job? Yes. What so, year did you become the head coach? Uh, I got hired in February 2020, so right before the pandemic hit. So that okay. was... So yeah, so um, I got hired midway through. There was, um, you know, which is always a challenging time frame. Basically, right before the spring season starts. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a whirlwind, especially being a state employee with all the just. And going back to what I was talking happened. about the golf season, so that's the middle of the season. Yeah, exactly. So that's very unusual, and um, not only that was. Um, you know, it was, we were literally playing our first spring event in Florida. That was, I mean, everything was already scheduled, mm -hmm. um, like three weeks later. So I had to get, you know, all my state and, and different, you know, th clearances done very fast. And there's a lot more than you think, you know, not having been a state employee before. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was challenged. So we played one tournament in Fort Lauderdale and then we came back and then we were how's this hosting two tournaments remotely at Mission Inn outside of Orlando the next week after you got hired so was there was the previous coach let go or what whatever yes got it. so you know and again the reason why we didn't go back there is when I after the fact you know once so basically we hosted a tournament on the front end of spring break and it was, oh, I forget what conference. It's like Detroit and IUPUI that won it. It's like in the Midwest. They host their conference tournament there. Okay. So that was a, a way to get teams there. Sure. Now, again, some of the, the benefits of hosting a tournament, you know, like I mentioned, we really weren't getting, as a program, any benefit out of hosting that event. And so I'm like, you know, the field again, relative to where we wanted to go. Didn't make sense for us to play, um, you know. And so then we were staying down that week. And again, I, after I played at Penn State, I lived in the Jupiter area for, for up until 2018, okay. off and on. So 
I took the team that we were at, actually Tiger Woods, we went to the Honda Classic, and I had some friends playing in it, and then we were having lunch at Tiger Woods' restaurant, Jupiter, getting ready to go back up to Orlando for the, the next event, and that's when we had a player, uh, he's at law school now at Wake Forest, uh, he was a senior, and his father was uh, one of the top assistants at UVA for basketball. Okay. And he was like, they started canceling all the conference basketball tournaments that day. Got it. And that it was this a was that that second week of March of twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah, it was a surreal experience. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Right. So we're literally sitting there, and teams aren't coming out for the second half. And now. This, this event was the bigger event, and we had some good schools like TCU, UCF. Um, they were coming all over, and I'm getting schools calling me from the airport saying, should we get on the plane or not? And so now... And you had to make that call. And we had about 18 teams for that one. And I'm trying to get a hold of our administration, who is at either Madison Square Garden or, or where the Brooklyn Nets play for the A-10 mm -hmm. championship... They're busy with their own, you know, uh, sure. emergency situation. And I also have the host facility to yeah. worry about. So total, total chaos. Total chaos. So finally, you know, one of my players said, look, Duke is pulling out of the NCAA tournament. There will be no NCAA tournament. That's what my dad said. But this was basketball, right? Yeah. That day. So I'm like, well, if there's going to be no NCAA tournament, like, yeah. we're not. So... I just made an executive decision to pull the plug. Yeah. So it turned out to be the right one. Yes. And the and so we then had to get a new flight, drive up, you know, and fly out that night. We had three seniors, great guys, you know, basically we got in at two thirty into Dulles and hugged them and like that was it. And it was so surreal. And what was the last, the next time after that that the team played a tournament or got together or anything. So they canceled everything, obviously, the rest of the spring. Then the fall season, except the SEC, they did play football. And again, for those reasons, I said they are playing football. Because financially, they have to play football. Too big of a loss. Even if it's in yeah. front of nobody. The yeah. TV has contracts have to go on. So... For golf, though, they just did a blanket thing and said no sports playing besides football in the fall. So we were able to practice but not play. And then our season was just the spring of 2021. Yeah. So that was our first half-year season. And then last year was our first full-year season. And then this year. so That's, that's a wild ride. It's yeah. your first year as, as, a, yeah, as a head coach. Yeah, it was. And, that's what, and so then the NCAA implemented a recruiting uh, ban. Yeah. So for COVID, that you couldn't host any recruits on campus, and you couldn't. Uh, In some ways, did that you couldn't go and watch them either at tournaments. Did that help you in some ways? The fact that you're you're a brand new coach. This is your first time you've had a coaching job, and it was almost like there was this pause in the whole schedule that you could learn the ropes. Yeah, and catch but the up. problem with the pause was you couldn't do anything. Right. It, right. It was like, oh, you know, I finally had time to go travel. Well, you couldn't mm -hmm. travel anywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. So that was the irony of it. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so now and that's how it kind of affected our roster size. And that's what makes even our progress, mm -hmm. our expedited progress, even more impressive than I think it actually is. 
is the fact that we couldn't recruit. And we took, we only had six guys these past two years. Interesting. And which is unbelievable. And we had... Your roster was only six, six, six players. Six players. So is it back to 10 now? We have nine right nine, now. Okay. Yeah, which is a more normal size. So the fact that we took the guys we had because we couldn't... And again, it's part of my recruiting philosophy is we brought in one player um, from upstate New York and he played every tournament last year, finished seventh in our conference championship. And then, you know, he, he's played well this year. Um, and then finally we were able to focus and, and get, we had one of the top classes this year. We got the, the, uh, the third and fourth best kids in the state of Virginia for 2022. They boast one, uh, one player just won. Coming in next year. No, they just started this okay. year for 2022. And one player just won the, the Virginia State Junior title over here at Riverbend. So that has been huge because it's given us, and those players were ranked, again, ninth and 11th when we got them to commit, and they blew up this past summer. And you want to talk about one? Well, feel free to, let's, let's talk about a few of your players. Like the, the... Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so like I said, you know, who we bring in is really important, and I yeah. saw that in my college experience. Yeah. They were like my brothers. And again, this is why I tell recruits, I think the coach, you know, when you look at schools, uh, you have a lot of factors, right? You have the school itself, the reputation of the, the program, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the history of the program. You have facilities. You have the coach. Yeah. You know, and a couple others. I, I think the coach is the number one thing in golf, in a small sport where that, you know, my buddy played football at Notre Dame. He rarely saw the, the head coach. You know, they had their own things. But in golf, you know, the coach, one, determines who plays. Do you play for Holtz or do you play for, for Brian? Uh... He played for Willingham. It's funny. He uh, played uh, for three different. Right. He actually got, was one of the eight guys who got an official Notre Dame letterhead with O'Leary. He was there for, what, oh, 10 days? Right. That's right. <laughs> He's one of the lied on his resume? Yes, yes exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, he had Weiss, Willingham or Weiss. Man. And, sure um, but anyway... Um, I tell them the coach picks yeah. who plays. The coach, um, again, picks your teammates. Mm -hmm. Coach picks the schedule, picks the equipment. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so like I said, I think. I looked at your, I looked at your roster. Yeah. A lot, most of your rosters, either local or semi-local, right? So yeah, that's, kid, kid from Langley. Yeah, so that's a huge thing for me. Again, I think in any sport, you want to be one of the top, you need to, own your your area your state yeah. so again mason for a long time and and again virginia is the sixth best state for junior golf right now in the country right behind the big three florida california texas and then you have uh they, georgia they, and north carolina and virginia interesting so that's unbelievable so the, Most the, the five the, ahead are all that makes sense they're all south right like a full season the most of the best, the top three or four players in this, in each class for Virginia, are super studs. Any idea where Maryland's in there? Well, Maryland's first of all very, they're near, the, not great. They're okay. a super small state. Yeah. As well. So. Um, so yeah. So, the um, top guys are most of them are all from Northern Virginia. Interesting. So. Why not us? Yeah. And so, again, this area, most universities, Penn State, where I went, 
A lot of the other ones, you look at a lot of football schools, are in the middle of nowhere. Right. We're 15 miles from one of the most influential cities in the world. So the fact that, but we're not in the city. Mm -hmm. So the fact that our campus is beautiful and we're in an area where, again, after class, we can go to 12 to 15 amazing country clubs, whether it's Trump, whether it's RTJ, whether it's Creighton Farms, we were there a week ago. They had pros of Mason grad. All right, we have Riverbend. Oh, sure. Right, so all these clubs, uh, you know, international. And because so much of the alumni stays in the area, a lot of that alumni is pr proliferated it. to these to clubs. Me, that's and that way your, your players can play. Exactly. Right. So the visibility of we were just at Cut Along on Saturday on our way down there. One sure. of our, our alumni just joined that brand new country club. And so he, and so he made the connection to get you guys. Our up. whole team went down there and played. That's great. So it was awesome. So, like I said, I see it. Oh, well, Mason used to be a commuter school. To me, that's an advantage because people are here. You know, is it not considered a commuter school anymore? No, we're the largest school in Virginia. But they still have, must have a huge commuting population, right? The some they do, yeah. yeah. But now it's a tier one research institution. Interesting. We're doing more research than UVA because of where we're at. Hmm. And look at the tech companies we have. Look at the cybersecurity. Sure. So this is where we. Why is Amazon building their headquarters right up the road? Yeah. Everybody yeah. wants to be in the DC market. And so that rising tide has lifted all ships, including our university and our profile. And so... Is that helping you? Are you seeing the benefits of that and helping you recruit absolutely. outside of the area? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things was to be at least, you know, one thing that drove me crazy in my experience is at the time, Pennsylvania had a lot of good players and they would go to, you know, some, these blue chip schools. And I was like, man, I was Penn State. I lived right there. I didn't even get a letter from them. Didn't even, well, they, you know, the coach, well, they're too good. They won't come here. Mm -hmm. Well, so I make it even, you know, the guys, you know, there's a guy going to Florida that takes lessons out of here. Right. There's, I mean, I could name, like I said, six or seven super blue chip guys right here mm -hmm. within 20 minutes of where we're sitting. Eisman probably coaches a lot of them, right? Some of them, yeah. yeah. And a lot of the local, there's four or five guys that coach a ton of, great junior players, right. and I know all of them. And I at least want to throw my hat and say, you've earned the right and the recognition. I understand where we stand in the pecking order, but I still think it's important that you got an offer from us. And hey, if I can help you in the process, I'm, I'm happy to do that, because it's a confusing process. Where are you looking? I know a lot of the coaches, they're friends of mine or whatever. Mm -hmm. and. Same thing, it's like, you know, I can tell you what the advantages that we can provide for you, and I could also tell you what, you know, we're working on improving. And so, yeah, so the Virginia base is huge. So, yeah, if you look at our roster, five of our guys are from Virginia, four of the five are from Northern Virginia. So, you know, recruiting and everything is word of mouth, your podcast, yeah. right? So, sure. that's where it starts. And I, Has George Mason ever made that end of your tournament? Has they sorry? Has the, has the team has the golf team ever made the NCAA tournament? No, ever. Not that well. Not that I'm aware of. Again, it's changed a little bit over the yeah. years. But again, you'd have to win your conference. I, I imagine that's a big goal of yours. Yeah. So uh, you know what our records with golf stat, you know, go back to ninety three, ninety four. Okay. On our website and everything, and golf stat keeps track of them. 
So, you know, a lot of the stuff I have, and, and I could show you it on there is, you know, our best national ranking is 146. And it happened um, in the mid-2000s when I played at Penn State. And when I looked this morning before I got in the car to drive here, you were better than that. Exactly. So what we're trying to do, we use those benchmarks, and what we tell people is, again, and golf stats great with, you know, when I got here, we were 232. Yeah. And when I met with the team, said, what are our goals? Well, we want to win the conference. We want to win, you know, it's, it's a lot of uh, kumbaya stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, do you know what it takes to do that? Mm -hmm. uh, so I said, who's, well, so right now you're like in the 130s. Right. Who's, is, are, it, who's the top dog in the A-10? So seven out of the eight years we've been in it, uh, you know, Davidson's won two of the last three conference championships. Uh -huh. We were just went head to head with them on their home track. Um, VCU as well. They've won combined seven out of the eight. Richmond's won the other one. So they have been, you know, again, um, consistently ranked being between one. Our conference championship is ranked usually between 110 and 120. Okay. So what I told our guys was in order. So we went from 232 when I got when I got hired uh, in February, and then. That first half a year, that spring of 2021, our goal was to be, they, you know, they were talking all these lofty goals. They said, that's great, but you, know, you have to get five shots better to do that. Right. How, and I went to every guy in the room. I said, how are you going to get five shots better? better? Is that realistic? Mm -hmm. No. So then what we did was we said, well, um, our goal was top 200. We finished 196. Nice. So then we said, all right, last year, we said, how about our goal is top 175? So our motto was, when we looked last year, one night, we said, if we got three shots better a player, mm -hmm. all right, we would be uh, in that 110 to 120. That's what Golfstat told us. Okay. So we'd be in that conference championship level. So that was our motto last year. So I work out with the team. We do a lot. So when we get it in, like all the teams, we say three strokes, mm -hmm. three strokes on three. So last year, we improved 1.8 shots a player. Our team average went from 299.9 .9 to 294. Okay. So hey. when I tell recruits, this isn't just me saying, yeah. this is where we're going to be in two years. You can show, them, is, you can show them the this data. This is the data. Yeah. And so it's like, That's exciting. It, yeah, and when I tell people, hey, I, when I recruit, I don't look at your, your current ranking and value, just like, you know, you Samir Arian, who ended up three and four, and Samir ended up top 100 in the country. Okay. And when the Georgia head coach and the Clemson coach and UVA and Virginia Tech and Maryland and all the other big boys are at that tournament, and the Georgia coach says, hey, coach, you know, where's that kid that's leading? Man, he can play. Where's he going? I said, George Mason. He goes, oh, you got a good one on you. And so that now, his success has made it cool, and now we're relevant. Hey, good players are going there. And now we have three top 100 2024s we've already made offers to, and one guy's top 10. But you just brought up an interesting point, because the, the – and I don't know, again, I don't know if this is the case in golf, but I know in some of the other sports that the, the rules for trans, the transfer portal rules have changed a lot in the last few years. Yes, yeah, so and, we've and, taken and, advantage of that. But in, in golf, when we go back to the point where golf is you are what you score, 
if you've got a guy that comes in and, and, and really improves under your watch, uh, you, uh, do you run the risk of him getting poached by one of these bigger schools? Yeah, you do. Um, and, you know, well, this first two weeks, you know, there were a couple programs that felt the effects of that. And UConn was one. They, had, they lost the guy to Georgia and, you know, some of these other teams, you know, and they said, hey, be careful. What, when, when Samir finished second, shot 12 under last week at Bethpage, you know, I had, you know, I said, yeah, he's a stud. And... You know, so coach, does that mean you have to be you have to be recruiting your own players, so I, to speak? No, because again, if I think you do it on the front end, yeah. I know the guys I bring in. Yeah, I I'm completely transparent and honest with my guys with everything we do, our budget. So you try to you try to bring in guys that you know are going to be with you for the long haul. Yeah. yeah, and and you know I, again, if there's something, I just ask them, hey, community, you know. So my mission statement, and you know, I I can. You know, is pretty simple, and it's in our team manual. It's in our first uh, meeting. It's for me to create an environment that maximizes their potential, athletically, academically, and personally. Simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if you become such a super stud by your last year, that hey, coach, I have a chance. You know, look at Chris Goddard up from Rutgers. Okay. You know, so he was a New Jersey kid. wasn't highly ranked. Became the Big Ten Player of the Year after his fourth year last year. Okay. Has an opportunity to pick his school and goes to Oklahoma. They're the number one team in the country. Becomes the National Player of the Year. Is that because he gets a fifth year due to COVID? Yes. That was a little bit unique. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's a situation where, hey, you know, all you're trying to do is how could you not be happy for that kid? Right. You know, he's... Could He's he, earned that. Yeah, he, could, he could have stayed at Rutgers for the fifth year if he wanted. Yeah, but could he ever, again, because of the scheduling stuff mm-hmm. and because of the, you know, I don't want to say the bias, but the reality of it is he could never be the player of the year at Rutgers, even though they are in the Big Ten. They're not going to play on the level that Oklahoma is. So if, Core values and principles, excellence, preparation, accountability, integrity, communication, synergy, and yeah. fun. So what we talk about all the time is control the controllables. My, you know, what we talk about after every tournament is self-evaluation, right? All right, tell me you know, what you did best this week. Yeah. What did you improve most that you're proud of? And then, mm-hmm. okay, what are the area areas that looking forward you're going to need the most work to improve, sure. to get to where you are? And then... You know, it's like a report card. Obviously, you have the areas of the game, you know, the physical areas. You have driving, you have approach, you have short game, and you have putting, right? Mm -hmm. There are stats. But to me, it's more than that, right? It's the intangibles, too. It's the controllables. All right, I define them as attitude, effort, management, preparation. Okay. 95% of our improvement has been because of those areas. And so, again, you could beat so many people. And this, this is transferable to life. Sure. And so that's what we tell them. You're not just, you won't just become a better golfer here. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll be better prepared for life. And it's like if you can do those regardless of your talent level, you know, you will be better going forward. And, you know, I had three goals when I got hired here. The, f- the first one was, all right, change the culture. All right, yeah. You know, Mason was... You know, not a good golf program. It's no secret. 
-hmm. But nobody cared about it. Nobody put the time and the effort in it. And when mm -hmm. I saw this, I'm like, this is a sleeping giant right. with, with all that we've all talked the resources about. Out. So second, we did that. The second thing was, all right, now let's take the guys that we inherited and let's make them better. I know what we do works because it worked for me. Mm -hmm. But part of it, you're, you know, there's a proof of concept. And some people, well, will sure. it work for guys that maybe aren't at your level? Yeah. And we've shown that. And so last year we had two all-conference players for the first time ever. Nice. Right? So you're seeing that and that data, like I said, that improvement. Now, the, I saw this year you've already got a freshman who won A-10 player of the week. or kind Yes. Of a, a player so the week. third part now is that we're on currently is to recruit and bring in more talented players right. to get us to that last level. And, you know, so to be a great college golf team, it's a pretty simple blueprint. You need two super studs that can carry four out of the five scores count a day. Okay. They're, they're your, your workhorses. You could count on them. Their, their scores are, need to count every day. Yes. And then the second part is the back end depth. That fourth score, that's the greatest variance, mm -hmm. is that fourth score. I mean, again, if that guy shoots 73 as opposed to 77, that's four shots just on that one guy. Through three rounds, that's 12 so shots. That's, there's only one score that doesn't count? Correct. You yeah. drop the worst one each right. day. So now this team up here is really good, and this team stinks because of the 12 shots in the last one. So, you know, that's the part that we're focusing on. And, you know, again, the 1.8 shots, so that, that golf stat data and metrics, um, again, this is where it shows. This was from last year. This is the area we're talking about. And then, you know, I break it down for our guys here. What, what's so interesting about this, as you're showing me this stuff, is that, like, you have a tremendous amount of passion for this. Mm -hmm. I, I, like, I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about it. Um, in, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm a sports fan, and I'm, I, I, love get, I love getting into, into, into college sports. And going back to one of the things we were talking about earlier, like, sometimes it's not, like, again, I'm really into golf. I'm, like, on my computer all day long you got to really search for some of this stuff. Yeah. Like, I wish there was a way that it was, that college golf, it was just easier to find a lot of this stuff. So it would be, it could be easier to be a fan. Yeah. And one of the things, again, I've worked so hard with our sports information team. Again, mm -hmm. golf people tend to be technology people. Right. Sure. You know, and there's perception to value, especially in this area. Yeah. And I, and I've learned this when I moved to Jupiter Palm Beach area. Mm -hmm. You know, successful people will pay a premium for excellence. Right. So, so, again, what I'm trying to say is when I got here on our website, there was no list of former Mason Golf alumni. I said, so if I played golf here, and regardless whether it was in its infant stages or a glorified yeah. you know, yeah. club team, whatever you want to call it, now if I have my own business and I'm killing it, that's a sense of pride I was sure I can still. point people there absolutely yeah and so I didn't know how many coaches we had before me so all this stuff bringing in the dating. history and creating yeah. a culture you know and the other thing is like I said just knocking on doors yeah right so I've gone you know we we did a camp at TPC Potomac with Daniel Nebin this summer and I've got two other ones at clubs in the area and what did we do with on the end we had a, a 90 minute Q&A 
And again, I can't give any specific information out about our program, but the general mm -hmm. recruiting info. Yeah. And Daniel now coaches at, at uh, the Division Three school, uh, Mary, Marymount. Mm -hmm. um, so he was given the Division Three kind of perspective on it. And so that's what I said. We're, we're going to expand that. Yeah. And, and that was almost as valuable as the actual golf information we were giving. And, you know, that's why I said those other people that run these golf organizations in this area, I've said to them, hey, you know, let, let's do this. There is a there is a need for this. There's a craving for it. And the sure. more people could understand it, yeah. they can make their best decisions. And that's simple. You know, like you said, passion. You know, I tell our guys, you'll get so far in life with a passion and a plan and mm -hmm. doors will open up for you that you didn't have access to. And because people will help out people that yeah. have that. And that's pretty obvious. And my number one thing is with recruiting is passion. Sure. If a guy is passionate mm -hmm. about golf, they will put in the extra work and, you know, the, the, everything takes care of itself. And I think, you know, if they see the passion, what I'm doing, you talk about retaining people and doing that is... I'm going to do everything in my power to help us accomplish that mission statement, to do what's best for them. And maybe that's not here. Was this always your plan to become a head coach, a college coach? You know, when I, again, when I got to Penn State, they were a very good regional golf team. And at the time, the NCAs were in regions, mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of the sports. We were in the mid-Atlantic region. Okay. So... We had got there, though, and said, but you lose your momentum in the fall when you get into the spring. You know, obviously yeah. the weather and the climate is challenged, but, you know, when it comes to Big Tens and NCAs, and they always would qualify for NCAs, they never could break through. So we said, we want to change that. Yeah. What do we have to do? Let's look at what we're doing. Well, one, at that time, the Big Tens were played at all the host courses and they would rotate, not at a neutral site. Mm -hmm. We don't play any regular season events in Big Ten. We didn't even play at Ohio State at the time. Okay. So it's like we don't know the golf courses. Well, every, yeah. So let's change that. And then, you know, so we got invited to some other bigger events and our coach turned it down and we were upset. And it was like, well, I don't want to go to those events and finish last, he said. I want to know if we have a good team. And like we talked, you don't... You don't have the luxury of knowing that. You yeah. gotta, you gotta have some blind faith. And we yeah. said, we're gonna, fa we might fail the first year, but by the second and third year, we'll we'll be beating those teams. Yeah. And sure enough, that's what happened. And you know, we at that time there were only three regional sites, thirty teams, and they took the top ten. Well, they didn't reseed at the time, so we were in the East Regional with every SEC and ACC school. Okay. And it was loaded. So that was, that so was, we that was out, rough, I imagine. And yeah, and so we went out though, and we got Yale was hosting. Okay. Hey, it's in the Northeast. Our style of courses. Mm -hmm. And we went, and we got paired with the University of Florida in the final round of regionals. They were the number one team in the country. They had won like seven tournaments. They they had four tour players: Camilo Vajegas, all these guys, and we beat them. And so Penn State had only made the finals one other time in their history. And we became the second school. And because we didn't just want to hang on, we wanted to win the regional. And then Clemson came from nowhere and clipped us. Okay. But we finished second. And now we went to NCAA finals at the Homestead mm -hmm. in Virginia. Okay. And we get paired with Georgia, who won the national title the next year. They okay. had 
four tour players. They had uh, Chris Kirk, they had Kistner, all these guys, right? So we go out and we still the only team to make the cut at NCAA finals at Penn State. We finished eighth after the three rounds and they didn't have a match play portion. And then okay. we play, we, and we got paired with Oklahoma State the first two days. So I, I played with guy who, uh, Casey Wittenberg. But anyway, from then on, the doors open at Penn State. Now we went to Arizona State, played their tournament. We played in Cal Berkeley's event. We got invited to uh, Texas's event. You know, so now all of a sudden, we were, you know, we had played at Georgetown. We yeah. had won that tournament. So now all of a sudden, from then, their program became a national recognized brand because. And, and you're, you're telling this story because this is what this is. This, yeah. You're seeing what a program can do right. with the proper guidance, the proper. Yeah, because at the time it was all oh, your northern school. You know, yeah. you could only get so good, and so As you're that you're, experience. You're trying to take that blueprint and apply. Yeah, it to that Georgia. experience. You know, and I was like, well, you know, you always use your own experience. All right, what was a, a, a good experience or a, an unpleasant one, and let's make it better. So, you know, when I then. You know, I had a good college career and I played professionally for, for several years and then I circled back and I had a finance degree and I got offered a lot of jobs through golf for the people I knew. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I ended up getting into teaching golf accidentally too. I got a call out of the blue. You know, hey, you want to come up here to, to Boston? And, well, okay, never really worked at a club. Went up mm -hmm. there. You know, liked certain elements, didn't like certain elements and then you know, but I wanted to get into college coaching, and Boston had a lot of yeah. universities. And so some the Northeast model. So you're always looking at that. You're yeah, always, yeah, so that was the only reason why I kind of got into the golf business. I didn't really want to be at a country club. Yeah. Um, but it was hard. But like you have your PGA credentials. Yes. This is all from becoming an instructor. Right. And, and do I have it right? Your last job before becoming the coach was locally at Manor? Yeah, so, I, so one of the assistant pros up in Boston was – in the interview at Manor, and I had played the US Open sectional at Woodmont. My sisters had lived in Maryland, and I wasn't too far away, it was closer. Okay. And he said, hey, I'm in, you know, I need to hire a director of instruction if I get this job, and you, know, you run the junior program here, you run the, the women's program, you know, you do, you'd be perfect fit. And they have a lot of really good players at this club. Yeah. And it's a young club, would you be interested? I said, sure. This is the one in Boston, or is this Manor? We were in Boston at the okay, time. This is so he said, you know, if I oh, get this job. Oh, he's talking about Manor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see. He said, I said, yeah. So that's how that came to be. So I was the director of instruction there for four years. And, um, you know, I loved that. And the people there were great. My experiences there were great. And then my last year, I was in Florida over the winter, and I ran into a guy who's still playing professionally, and said, oh, geez, you know, I, I give a clinic to GW. I know their coach. They're looking for an assistant, you know, this coming year. Would, would you be interested in helping them out? So I said, sure. So I, you know, in the fall of 2019, uh, I, I was their assistant coach. Okay. Uh, and that was a lot, juggling, you know, two things for about a month. And mm -hmm. then that December, um, you know, I got a call from the Richmond coach who was, my assistant the year we did so well at, at he went to Penn State, Adam Decker, great guy, and he said, hey, the Mason job's open. You live right there. He goes, and again, that, those, they're not very good and, you know, whatever, but I think, you know, they'd hire, they'd hire you in a heartbeat. Would so, you have known about that if he hadn't called you? 
Yeah, well, because then about, oh, oh, you know, then the uh, Chuck at GW had told me about it, like, you know, okay. a few days later and whatever. Okay. But again, that timing, it's very unusual. And I had been on the, the NCA job, you know, I get the emails. Sure. But again, so much of it was, unless you, you generally start at your alma mater. Well, mm-hmm. my roommate and best friend was the Penn State assistant for six years. And then he had just was going to be leaving you know, to take the job at University of Florida as the assistant. But I couldn't get in. You know, it was like, well, and again, obviously, like a lot of things, it's, it's, you need the right situation where you were. I wasn't 25 at the time. So I was like, oh, do I? So, and actually I got offered the Rutgers assistant job. Okay. Around the same time? About two years before that. Okay. And so I was like, well, I don't know if I want to move there as an, you know, so, so this, just the timing and everything fell into place, and I was like, all right, you know, and, and my experience at GW being in the conference, in the area, and, you know, Chuck does a great job with, with his program. Obviously, geographically, they're very close, but being a private school and being where it's mm-hmm. a completely different kind of model, um, and who they recruit and what they have to do is very, very different. You know, one of our things, why we focus also on in-state kids is we're a state school and our tuition is an unbelievable value and bargain especially if you're if you're an in-state player exactly right. and given that we don't have the full four and a half yeah right hey if i give a kid x number of dollars that's yeah, it's a huge advantage if they're getting recruited by an out-of-state school yes because this amount of money becomes a a, a bigger yeah you know percentage to them so is is our um do college golf coaches uh, compared to because it's not quite as um, maybe prestigious the contracts the, 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 the contracts aren't quite as big as football and basketball do co- coaches typically stay longer at programs than in basketball and football or is there still a lot of change? so yeah so yeah that historically there's been a very low turnover right. which is why it was hard to get in however the trickle effect like I said whether the recruiting and the scholarships, the cutthroat nature of it now mm-hmm. as the money goes up yeah. um, has gotten down to golf. So yeah, the the again the, the the bigger golf schools, the top the top you know big conference schools, there's definitely the coaches are getting paid more, but mm-hmm. the expectations are going up too, and so that pressure to win is felt, and it comes down onto the players. And so again, when they're doing their rosters. And if you look at the bigger schools in Virginia and, and even at Penn State, at my experience, they had 12 guys. Maybe they capped them for Title IX, but they had bigger rosters because they could. Yeah. And so the more guys I get that are good players, one sticks, yeah. the better percentages I have. And um, they can afford to do that. But, you know, the, what I, I'll just tell you, I got calls from two major schools and over the summer, hey, coach. Here we have a great kid. I think he'd be a perfect fit for your program. Why? <laughs> Why don't you want him? Yeah. And so then you talk to the kids. They're on the transfer portal. And, hey, I got cut. We had 16 guys on our team. And, hey, the one assistant coach told me, yeah, we're bringing in six freshmen. Six. One class, never heard of that. Wow. So they're bringing in. So, so that coach is trying to do the kid that he just 
got cut a solid by trying to find him a new home. Right, because it benefits him. How? He's got another roster spot. To, he's already oh. filled his spot. Got it. So again, it's like the 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 airline. He's got to get him out of there. Yeah. The well, he already did. He didn't tell me that. I see. The kid told me that. Right. 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 So he made it sound like it was still a well. He could stay if he wants. Then the kid told me, uh, yeah. But you want those calls, don't you? Or yeah, no? you do. You know, but but I'm just bringing that up. The na- it's the nature of sure, sure. of the industry now. Right. So you're becoming again. We'll if you we'll give you two years or a year sometimes even. The one kid was a freshman. The other kid was a sophomore. Is that part of a trickle down of the popularity of golf in that every year the the kids are just getting better? No, but that could be. I think it's more the trickle down effect of the economics. Hmm. Again, there's more money at the top to get. It's more more competitive. Again, I need to win to keep my job, and you know I'm getting paid more, so the expectations more. Yeah. If I don't produce, I'm out. Mm-hmm. So whether it's football, first started football, then it's basketball, and now it's coming into the other sports, and it's like, well, hey, you know, one of my old assistant coaches, he just got fired. He won conference championships, and then went to this new school for seven years, and then they just canned him. And it's a small southern school. But they had one year under a previous coach that caught fire, and they were top 50 in the country for one year. Wow. Well, now all of a sudden, that school can't win in any other sport. They can't, in their mind, win in golf because they've done it, which, yeah. which I said. So now all of a sudden, they think, why not us? And it must be your... And so, you know, that's the cutthroat nature. And like I said, so he told me, hey, at our school... I can get rid of whoever I, our, our administration's okay with getting rid of. If they don't produce, get rid of them. And so, and the other thing is in golf, you do have a lot of schools. You even see that I think there's nine division one programs in the state of Virginia. Some of the schools decide it's to go international. It's a little easier to find a diamond in the rough internationally because maybe the information isn't as great as it is here. Right. And the other thing is, it's, uh, you know, with them, your rep, you know, if you, if you decide to go about it that way, your reputation doesn't follow you. If you do that to an in-state kid, all those mm-hmm. other kids are going to know about it. Right. So, again, that's why I think it's, hey, I, I mean, I've got kids, again, that are knocking on our doors now. Hey, Coach, yes, again, they were hoping for the, the big schools, mm-hmm. Power 5 schools in the state. And... You know, the, the challenge to any school is, you know, usually you only have two or three spots a class. And I'd like to bring in everybody. And we have a kid right now played this past week. He was a walk-on. He's yeah. from Leesburg. He went to Nova. Mm-hmm. His brother's at one of those big blue-chip schools in the state. Mm-hmm. He's a younger brother. Mm-hmm. He's on, on the roster there. He re- reached out to me. And at the time, we only had five or six guys. Mm-hmm. And and I, I've had a, a walk-on trial. That's the other thing. Most places don't have a walk-on trial because they have a roster cap. Right. So if I already have my roster limit, I can't have a, a walk-on tryout because of the roster cap. So, you know, I had kids. We had one last year here. And, you know, they didn't fare well, but, hey, Coach. Are thanks. you only doing that walk-on tryout because of the nature of everything you talked about before with COVID and having a smaller roster? Or do you, or do you foresee that doing that every year? No, I think that's something. In this area, there's a lot of good athletes that are late bloomers. Interesting. Yeah. And so the double-edged sword, so with the recruiting cycle, 
because you couldn't go and see people, because they couldn't visit, the big schools have pushed that timeline forward. Yeah. So now they're getting commits June 15th after your sophomore year is the first day you can talk and communicate in golf. So for the big boys, yeah, mm-hmm. they want to get a kid as that first summer he's even able to be recruited because that allows them to focus on the next, and they're done, their work is done. Yeah. Well, the problem is, maybe that kid tapers off. I mean, he's only 50, probably 15. Yeah. You know, so for us, well, we get a kid that's 17. Mm-hmm. A lot can change in those two years, or he's 16 or seven, that year and a half, that year. I would, I would imagine that happens in golf more, yes. more than almost any other sport. Because there's it's so such many, a mental game. It's such well, a, not only that, but one, obviously, there's the physical development in any sure. sport. Yeah. But in golf, it's a lot of when did you start? Hey, we have a lot of kids that are good baseball players, maybe got injured or just started liking golf, basketball players in this yeah. area. We have a lot of good athletes. Right. They get golf late. Now they, they have the means, they get good instruction. Well, he's right. only been playing competitive golf for two years. Right. Look yeah, at they're his, a total athlete. They got the right mentality. But, like, but he hasn't, yeah. doesn't have the resume of the tournament thing yet. He's not on anyone's radar. So that's the type of stuff. And again, if I get a good athlete who has that trajectory, maybe in a year or two, he'll be even better than that kid. Because again, in golf, do you have access to a golf course? Do you have yeah. access to a good instructor? Yeah. Some kids that burst out of the gates have access to all that, and the other kid has no access. Sure. I gotta, I, I, here's a question for us. It's a little bit off topic, but related. And I gotta get, we're, we're going on two hours. This yeah. is, this, I love this stuff. It's fascinating. Yeah. But I, got, I know you just, you just got back in town this morning. I got, I got, I'll, get yeah. you, I'll get you out of here. Have you, we, before we started recording, we talked about social media a little bit and socialization in youth sports. Have you started seeing, I see these pop up like in my, in my different social media feeds, these guys, like youth coaching and promising parents to get their kids scholarships is, has become uh, cutthroat, but also like a little smarmy online. And you get these, you, these, these ads will show up in my Facebook feed or otherwise of these guys promising parents that I can get you. Yeah, so the quick answer, it's all garbage. So how do, how do parents weed through that? So this is the evolution of how it started. At one time, that was absolutely true. Again, when I, when I was coming up, the AJGA, if you play, it was exclusive. It was in that that sweet spot of... And you see this in other sports. Yes. It's not just golf. So, right. My, we did AU basketball. Yeah. In, in the 90s, AU, you had to be invited. And you, if you got invited and you were on a travel team, you were basically, they were saying, hey, you're a Division One player. You're a scholarship player. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, because the fields and the pools and the tournaments were so much smaller. Yeah. They were more selective. Yeah. So the reputation at that time helped create this allure and this this prestige for these organizations and every sport has it Mm -hmm. right and so what those organizers did they're not stupid they said well hey rather than having 16 teams at this tournament why don't we have 32 there's the demand for it sure now i'm doubling my profit margin Mm -hmm. golf it's the same way like i said there used to be one tournament a week now there's five or six in the summer so you know, now they're still using that same old selling point. It's, hey, if you get our kid, look at all the kids that have come through here that are producer. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore because it's watered down. Right. So, yeah, again, I wouldn't buy it. It's even so many kids, again, get into recruiting services. 
that's a waste of money to me. I know I can look up. And it's a up. huge business now. Yeah. Now, exactly. And you have the means. They know people, especially in this area, have the means. Mm -hmm. But I'm not. Actually, if I look at a kid that needs a recruiting service, I'm going to say, well, you know. Right. If he was good enough, he wouldn't need the service. Exactly. And so, but the, so save your money there. The other thing is always, I give special attention. We'll always try and respond and read to a personal email. Tell your story. Mm -hmm. And... I can identify a recruiting service email in two seconds because I get a million of them. Really? I know the form. I know the spacing. I know how they do everything. And so, Like the service will write it, but then the signature will come from the yeah, kid or the parent? Form, it's a form letter, and they fill in that. And, and the, the form, like I said, whatever it is, yeah. even the email address, I know what it is. So it's like if you can't take the time to send me a personal email, I'm not going to take the time to respond. So the best recommendation I have is... But, but that's it, interesting. So, uh, so like the, some of the kids on your team that you've re recruited that are on your team today, did the relationship? Did some of those relationships start by them reaching yes. out to so you, sport, and not like, vice versa? Right. So, in a, like in football, the high school coach is huge because high school football is huge. Sure. Basketball, you have your high school plus your traveler AU. Yeah. So there's a combination. In golf, it's you know your high school stuff almost means nothing. Yeah. It's all totally. it's all your 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 own stuff. So. Um, there was a little that like in basketball. You said you're about, I mean, I was a basketball guy in high school, and, yeah. and you only got recruited in the summer camps because the coaches it's, don't have time to see games in the winter. Yeah. So, like, we went to five, it's all about Pennsylvania up in the Poconos, five star basketball camps. My camp. sister was uh, an instructor there. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, so in golf, again, there's so many kids, and again, you, and a lot of, the other thing is a lot of coaches, some, a lot of these Division One, you know, coaches, especially in the Northeast, are part time employees. Hmm. George Mason, this was a part-time role, and some you could still argue if you saw my paycheck, it is. <laughs> so, but one of the things George Mason never recruited anybody. It was, hey, let me. Who do you, you know, maybe you partner up with the recruiting service. Give me who you got left, because mm -hmm. I'm not gonna. That that's why. Again, one of the things. Hey, you've never recruited here. We don't have a budget for it. Let's create one. Let's fundraise for it. But I need to. Again, if you want me to commit this money that the university is entrusting me with, plus the four-year experience for the kid, I want to know who I'm getting. And also for your teammates. I don't, I don't want to have a yeah. cancer. So that to me is where I spend, and my approach is probably much more targeted than, much, than, than a lot of coaches. And again, mm -hmm. they're just throwing a wide net and what's yeah. his ranking and what's his scoring average and what's his yeah. scoring differential. But so my recommendation is, Keep, be persistent. You've got to get on our radar first, unless you're really good. Yeah. But keep on it. Tell your story, because then if you get on my radar and I at least know your name and I'm at a tournament and I see you, I'll come and watch you. And a lot of it is, happens accidentally. Like, I'll go and watch a kid. He's paired with two other guys. Mm -hmm. Well, if that guy impresses me, that you know, you yeah. see that in other The guy sports. you didn't know right. beat him by three strokes. Exactly. So... Or there's word of mouth. You know, you meet, you know, the other coaches. Hey, we're full, but this kid's pretty good. You know, yeah. oh, yeah, you know. So that's so, so important. Interesting. Well, let me, I'll get you out of here. This is, this yeah. is already, I think, if it's not, it's either my longest or second longest podcast <laughs> I've done yet. But this is, I, I feel like we could talk for two more hours. Um, for folks that are, I imagine there's going to be some people who listen to this that, that are going to get juiced up and want to follow George Mason Golf and, and your story, your team's story. What is, what's the easiest way? Is it just your website? Is there, is there Twitter, Instagram? Like, what's the easiest yeah. way to track George Mason so, Golf? So, yeah, thanks. So, 
you know, again, most coaches don't even list their emails on the website. I do, or they have a recruiting email that it gets filtered through. But I do, again, I try and be accessible. So you could go on gomason.com on, on, on our golf site and, again, see, you know, do your homework, right? See how many people are on the roster. Where are they from? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what are the class, uh, the schedule, the scoring averages? Um, and then, obviously, we do have our social media. We have a Facebook page, George Mason Men's Golf, uh, for some of our or do you Boomer do you add do you add and, and we have our, our Instagram I tend I, I I do that as well as the Facebook we do have Twitter so you personally are the one posting that stuff? I'm a one man show <laughs> yeah so so much of it is and you know it's funny some of the other coaches and some of the the players you know I don't know again I don't consider myself a very good social media person but I do try and you know, make it kind of funny or like with the music in the background or the different stuff. But yeah, that would be one of the things if I had somebody, you know, helping me out, uh, that would be my first delegation because you, you got, that's an you, animal. You got tens of, of thousands of students at the school. You figure one of them well, you could get the, the other, intern or something. But as you do. know, in this day and age, if somebody that I don't know puts one wrong thing, sure, right, that's true. Then it goes viral for yeah. a bad reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's gotta yeah. be careful. So uh, yeah. So then our, our Instagram is what George George Mason uh, Golf. I'll tell. Put it all in the okay. in the show notes here. We'll figure it out. But um, well, well, let's leave it there because this is a ton of stuff. We're, we're almost at two yep. hours. I, I think this is fascinating stuff. It was very educational for me, learning a lot about just kind of the inner workings of, of college golf. The, the recruiting stuff, I think, is fascinating. Very cool. So and your next event is, is not for another month? Yeah, so we end the fall at UNC Greensboro's Grandover uh, event. Got it. Very cool. Uh, all right, Greg. Well, well, thank you very much. It's been great. Hey, appreciate, no appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, best of luck the rest of the season. Very cool. I don't have a good golf game, but I don't really care. I'm a, I'm a regular dude living in D.C., and I want to know about D.C.-centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I don't want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about DC golf. 